years ago, Susan and I went on a mission trip to North America. Uh, we went with two other members of the Church of Ireland, and uh, we traveled to Buenos Aires, first of all, from a, an airport in mainland Europe, and it took about 14 hours for the trip. And then, um, but that wasn't actually the longest leg of the trip because uh, the honor of that goes to the 24-hour continuous bus journey that went from Buenos Aires up to Salta in northern Argentina. Whenever I looked at Argentina uh, years or months before this, it just looked pretty small on the map, and I didn't realize that to go from midway in Argentina to towards the north in Argentina was a thousand-mile journey. And uh, so one of the things I will always remember in my life is that 24-hour bus journey, both there and back. It was wonderful when we got to our destination and we made Salta our base. We went out into the Chaco area, which is like sort of a jungle area out uh, towards the Paraguayan border in northern Argentina. And we met the indigenous South American people there and uh, the, the Anglican church, which had been planted there, I suppose, 100 years ago and um, has been growing and developing since. It was a great privilege, and it was wonderful to reach our destination and, and, uh, and to meet the people of the South American indigenous tribes. But it wasn't just as if the destination was the, was the only part of the journey. It wasn't as if we just took one photograph whenever we arrived in the, in the Chaco jungle, jungle area in northern Argentina. It would have been a bit strange for us if we had gone and taken one photograph at our destination and then come back and if people said, well, how did it go? We said, well, there's, there's the photograph of, of us getting there. In fact, we have an album full of photographs. It has uh, photographs in Buenos Aires of uh, tango dancers in the street because uh, Argentinians love to dance. And just as you would have street buskers here, you have people dancing Argentinian tango in the streets as you walk around. There's a La Boca area, which is uh, famous for its brightly colored buildings down near the shore in Buenos Aires. And of course, we had photographs of that bus journey. We had photographs all the way along the way, not just of our destination. Over these months ahead, we're about to embark on reading the first five books of the Bible together, starting on the 2nd of February in using the Immersed Beginning series. And Jesus Christ is the destination of the Old Testament. So we journey through the Old Testament as Christians knowing how the story develops. And we know the destination because we have the privilege of being followers of Jesus Christ and knowing the destination. The Bible tells us that kings and prophets longed to know what the destination looked like, but they didn't know. They only saw it from afar. They just caught glimpses of it through their relationship with the living God, Yahweh, the Lord, that we read about in the Old Testament. But that's not to say that the journey to Jesus is unimportant. It's not to say that we shouldn't read the Old Testament for all it's worth. Because it would be strange if, as often we, we do sometimes in modern churches, we, we just really focus on certain parts of the New Testament and never think about the journey to Jesus. Because the journey is extremely important. 
In fact, the Old Testament and the New Testament together form one big open-ended story. There's a quote which, if you're reading through um, Immersed Beginnings, you'll see it's in the introduction really in page A7, and perhaps if we could have that up on the screen now, David, uh, a wonderful quote that talks about the big story of the Old and New Testament. What God wants for us more than anything else is that we make the Bible's great drama of restoration and new life the story of our lives too. In other words, what God wants more than anything else is for us to receive the invitation to step into this open-ended story that we read in the pages of the Old Testament and the New Testament. In order for us to understand why restoration and new life are needed, we need to understand the problem that God set out to solve. And we need to understand what's the overarching nature of this story so that whenever we read a part of the Bible, especially a part of the Old Testament, we can think, well, I know where this fits into the overall story. You see, in reading the Bible, it's really important for us to know that the story is one of development. It's like any story, it develops. There are stages and milestones, and there are things that happen because of God's activity or human beings' activity, which change forever the complexion of the story and alter the direction that the story is ultimately headed in within the boundaries that the Lord allows in his interaction with human beings. So I find this really helpful. It's another slide that come up. If you're ever asked, oh, it hasn't quite come up. Unfortunately, my, my, my pictures have, have gone astray and turned into blocks. So um, let me tell you what they are. There, there should be six symbols there. The first symbol is a downward arrow, and it's one that shows it's about creation. So creation is a downward arrow in that God came down, as it were, and created the earth. And creation was like a vast temple for God to dwell in. The second symbol is an X. I know they all look like blocks, but the second symbol is an X that indicates that something went wrong as a result of human sin. The whole of life on earth and earth itself became infected by sin and its consequences. The Bible describes this in the language of curse. We'll talk more about this in the weeks ahead. There, there's the blessing of God and there's the curse of God, and the curse of God is just as much loving as the blessing of God because the curse of God is ultimately to lead us back into relationship with Him. Romans 8 describes it as creation being subjected to frustration. In the message paraphrase, Romans 8, Paul describes it as God holding back creation on purpose, holding back its ability to thrive and develop for a purpose, and that is because God wants us more than anything else to be with Him eternally. And so He wants to make sure that in the midst of creation, there is this element of baked-in frustration that will mean that we will always look higher and will seek the God who alone can give us eternal life because the life on earth that we enjoy now is only a small part of the story. And so 
the X indicates the fact that in his love, God, as we'll read in the weeks ahead, issues a curse over his creation. Then stage three is a promise which should be uh, an arrow moving horizontally from left to right. It's about promise. It's about God's promised blessing and salvation for the world through Abraham and his descendants, the people of Israel. Salvation which we know was accomplished only by Jesus, the Messiah of Israel. And that's the journey very much that we'll be going on stage three of the journey over these weeks ahead. Stage four is the gospel, should be a symbol of the cross. But it's not just the focusing on the crucifixion itself, it's all of the gospel narratives. It's that section of the story, really the New Testament, that speaks about the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and the birth of the church. Stage five is mission. We who are in Christ are part of the people of Abraham. That's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. It's so important for us to recognize that as in the weeks ahead, we look at the story of Abraham and realize that under the grace of God in Christ, that we are children of Abraham. We are part of his people. The reason for our existence remains the same as that in stage three. Our mission is to participate in God's mission of bringing blessing to all the nations of the earth. That was God's call on Abraham. It's God's call on every descendant of Abraham, every Christian, including ourselves. And finally, stage six, new creation. The final arrow is a downward arrow, and it symbolizes the return of Christ who will purge and restore creation as the place where God will dwell with all his redeemed people from all nations, and where all suffering, sin, evil, death, and curse will be no more. We live in stage five. We live in the stage of mission. In these weeks ahead, we'll be reading about the people of God who lived in stage three the people of promise. And we'll also be reading a bit in stage one and stage two as well of creation itself and also of the fall. And as we read through the Old Testament together, some things are going to appear unfamiliar and some things are going to appear and sound strange. There's going to be a lot of history and I don't know a lot about you, I don't know, don't know about you, but history was one of the first subjects that I dropped in school. There are going to be thousands of strange names. There's going to be a lot of violence, war, rituals, sacrifices, ancient customs, strict rules, and severe punishments. And it's all about a chosen nation, Israel which for some as they read the Old Testament, it may well smack of favoritism. Why has God chosen one particular people? Why did he choose them to bring about the salvation of all the nations? As Rick Hill said last week in quoting from the book Faith for Exiles, being resilient disciples of Jesus Christ involves being committed to Jesus, being committed to his church, 
being committed to the transformation of society. And there was a fourth point on his list, trusting the authority of God contained in the Scriptures. Four things that are right at the center of what it means to live lives of being resilient disciples, to be able to ride the highs and lows that come in this life. The members of the early church treasured and studied the Scriptures and taught them to their children. The Apostle Paul knew that his friend Timothy, whose mother and grandmother were Jewish, had learned the Scriptures from childhood. And so he encouraged him to study the Holy Scriptures carefully and to teach them often. So Paul wrote to Timothy, as we heard Hilary read, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. When Paul says the phrase Holy Scriptures or all Scripture, he means the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. The New Testament hadn't yet been written. So Paul is saying to Timothy, using our language, all of the Old Testament is God-breathed. All of the Old Testament is inspired by God. It teaches us what is wrong, and it teaches us what is right. It equips us, the Old Testament, and prepares us for every good work. It was written by ordinary human beings, as if from the mouth of God. And so it carries His authority. And so for that reason, they're useful. And as Paul writes to Timothy, and they can impart the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. Whenever Paul went from synagogue to synagogue, whenever he went from place to place through all of those years of mission, he was preaching the Old Testament. He was explaining how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. The Old Testament lays the foundations of our faith. It presupposes that that we know what God did and said. In other words, if we're to understand the full nature of Christian faith, we must read the Old Testament because the Old Testament contains things that the New Testament doesn't mention. If we're to understand that God is Creator, Redeemer, and Lord, we understand that through reading the Old Testament. The New Testament simply declares, Jesus is Lord. But we don't know what that means unless we read the Old Testament. It's in the Old Testament that we come to understand what it means to be human, made in the image of God. We understand the fact of sin and the terrible consequences of evil. We understand God's anger against injustice and oppression his love and faithfulness to his promises, his sovereign rule over all nations and all history, the way God wants his people to worship him and to live and behave toward one another, God's plan for the restoration of the whole of creation. These 
are the elements of the story that are laid out for us in the Old Testament and which the early Christians assumed that we would know. And perhaps most of all, the reason why we read and study and learn and live by the Old Testament is because that is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus lived to obey and to fulfill the Old Testament. Jesus followed the Old Testament, and we follow Jesus. Jesus himself never read the New Testament. It didn't exist. He, he knew the books of the Old Testament. He listened to them, he studied them, he memorized them, so much so that whenever he had come to 12 years of age, through his training by Mary and Joseph and, and teachers in the community, by the age of 12, Jesus was able to sit down as a young boy with the religious leaders in Jerusalem and was able to have a number of days full of conversation and questions and debate about Scriptures. Most Jewish boys, by the time they were 11, would have memorized the first five books of the Bible. What we are going to read, they would have memorized by the time they were 11. There's a great quote here uh, from Chris Wright, a Belfast-born theologian that should come up on the screen. And speaking about the Old Testament, Chris Wright says, These were the stories Jesus heard as a child. These were the songs Jesus sang. These were the scrolls that were read every week in the synagogue. These were the prophetic visions that had given hope to his people for generations. This is where Jesus discerned the great plan and purpose of God for his people Israel and through them for the world. This is where Jesus found the source text that shaped who he was and what he had come to do. When we read the Old Testament, we come to know Jesus Christ much better. If we have a desire to know Jesus Christ, one of the first places we should turn is the book that Jesus memorized, he quoted, he lived by, and he fulfilled. The Old Testament reveals who we are. It shapes our identity. Like all family histories, it's full of heroes and villains, tragedy and joy. Above all, in the midst of it, is our generous, patient, loving, holy God who works tirelessly generation after generation with great patience to rescue and to restore. And we discover that in the midst of it, He is speaking to us and He is pointing us towards the destination of the story. He is pointing us towards His Son, Jesus Christ. And so it's really important for us to remember that this story is one of development. So we will read things in the Old Testament that it's important for us to know. 
but there are many aspects of it that do not apply to us now. There are many rituals and many laws that are not directly relevant to us now. But we read them because we understand all that Jesus has done. There's a song that we've been singing recently. We've sung it at least once anyway in, in, in recent weeks. It's a Keith and Kirsten Getty song. It's entitled, My Worth is Not in What I Own. And it goes on, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. And later on, a verse goes like this. Two wonders here that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness, my value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. Over this last month, I've been starting to read through the first five books of the Bible. And one of the things that has really struck me in a fresh way is how sinful I am. That may sound like a, a very negative outcome, but actually what it has made me realize is that we as human beings, as human society, generation after generation after generation, are hopelessly flawed. And I am part of that story. And yet, in the midst of the story, there is a central character. It's not me. It's not the people of Israel. It's God himself. A God who works tirelessly. A God who we know in his son Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came and lived among us. And the low point and the high point at the same time of history is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Because in that moment, my value is fixed and my ransom is paid. How valuable are you that God himself took on flesh and died in your place. Never doubt how valuable and precious you are. The good news is that although we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe, in Christ we are more accepted and loved than we ever dared hope. My hope and my prayer is that for all of us, as again we engage in Scripture in a fresh way and we read through these familiar and yet unfamiliar stories of the first five books of the Bible, that all of us will afresh come to that realization to wonders here that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness, my value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross.
Let's pray together.